Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to continue uh, from where Colin left off in John 1, um, looking at Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, obviously, we all know John 1 at the beginning. We, we all know that kind of gets read at Christmas, doesn't it? And then this latter half of John, we probably don't read as much. We probably don't get onto these verses. So it's, it's good to be focusing on them. I'm just going to read them. So it's John 1, 35 to 51. Um, and then we'll look at what John was teaching us through these. So John's disciples followed Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this this chapter starts with John the Baptist. John the Baptist says that he is the one that was sent before the Messiah would come to point the way to the Messiah. It was prophesied in Isaiah 40 that there would be one coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And what John has done is he's gathered a group of people around him and they're starting to follow him and he's teaching them. But then what happens is he sees the Messiah. He sees Jesus. And his response is, look, look at the Messiah. Look at Jesus. This word look is an amazing word and and I just love this word because it actually is behold. It it isn't just look, oh oh, look, there's Mike looking. It's behold, Mike. (laughs) Behold the Messiah. Behold him. And this is what we're going to be doing as we go through John's gospel. We're going to be beholding Jesus. 
We're going to be holding him and looking at him and focusing in on, and meditating on who he is. We're going to be thinking, oh, this is who Jesus is. And this is the, the best bit about this sermon. We are going to behold Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the one who spoke all the world into creation. Jesus, the one who is author of all things. Jesus, who is the one who is ruling and reigning and supreme. Jesus, the one. Jesus is awesome. And we're going to spend this next term just looking at how incredible he is. And I just want to encourage you as we begin, let this be a time of beholding him. As you read bits about him in the gospel, behold him. Think about it deeply. Let it, let it go deep down into your heart. This is who Jesus is. This is how we, we deal with things that are stressful or anxious or whatever it is in our lives. We behold the Messiah. And as we behold Jesus, we, we get this freshness of the spirit and freshness of the soul. So let me just encourage you, behold Jesus. Let us be a people who behold him, who look at him, who enjoy him. Jesus is awesome. And the more we, we get to know him, the, the, the more peace that we will actually have. Let's keep beholding Jesus. And then we, we look through the, the passage as we behold Jesus, and we see that, that he is given three different titles throughout by three different people. So John the Baptist, he says, look, the Lamb of God. That's a title that he's given. And then after that, Andrew goes to Peter and says, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. We have found the one. We have found him. And then Nathaniel later on says, I've lost my place. That's okay. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you truly are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now these are all things, titles that point to Jesus being the Messiah. Now that doesn't mean necessarily much to us. It probably does actually now mean more to us than it would do. But to those people, they had been waiting. The Jewish people had been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for the promised Messiah to come. They were a people under Roman rule, so they were being oppressed by this, uh, this authority that was over them. And they had these prophecies in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come and he would rescue you and he will redeem you like he did in the past. He will come again. And they'd been waiting for this one to come. They'd been patiently waiting for the Messiah, the anointed one who would come from God to save them. Hundreds of years they'd been waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but my kids in the lead up to Christmas, they are anxiously waiting for something. They are getting excited. The expectation, they are asking for things, they're wanting things, and the expectation in them is rising. And then as you get closer to the day, the excitement grows. And then you, you start getting a few presents under the tree, and the expectation about, you know, it's all rising within them, and it's bubbling over with excitement. And there's this expectation of what is going to come on Christmas Day. And then on Christmas Day, they get to open the gift. And I can imagine it being like this as Jesus starts to be seen as the Messiah. The expectation arising around them, the whispers going around the community. Do you know, people are saying he's the one we've been waiting for. 
People are saying that this Jesus is the one who's going to rescue us. People are are saying that he's going to come and save us. He's going to come and change everything. You can imagine the whispers about Jesus spreading through the community and the expectation and the excitement. And you can see it throughout the Gospels as many gather to Jesus. They come from afar to see, is this the Messiah that we have been waiting for? Is this the one who will rescue us? Is this the one who will save us? Is this Jesus the one? that's what we're doing today, isn't it? We're here today gathered together because we know that Jesus is the one, the one Messiah, the one who rules and reigns, the one who saves. And that is the whole point in John's gospel. He says it at the end, John's gospel, uh, chapter 20, verse 30, he says, I have written down all of these things that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that believing in him, you may have life in his name. So that's the whole point in John's gospel. John wrote this gospel so that we could explore the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one that we've been waiting for to bring rescue. This is a pivotal moment in history. This is a moment when all of history changed that we're looking at here. A pivotal time when the Messiah came to earth. But John gives him this strange name. Now, and if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know Jewish history, it's a really strange name. Why would Jesus being the Lamb of God make someone go, all right, I'm going to go follow him then? Why would that make you think, actually, no, I will go and follow this Lamb of God? To me, that wouldn't. Lambs are pretty stupid. You try and follow them around and they run around and they're just kind of all over the place. They're not the most intelligent of creatures. In fact, Jesus often calls us sheep, doesn't he? And I think that's a bit of an insult, to be honest. He's like, we're like stupid animals that run around fields. But let's not go there. That's a different preach. But he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John said. Now, if these disciples had been with John the day before, he makes it a bit clearer. So in verse 29, rather than verse 36, he says, look. That's the Messiah, the one who will take away the sin of the world. So he makes it clear, that is what I mean by saying this is the Lamb of God. That is the Messiah. And the Jews would have understood the idea of sacrifices. The ideas of a sacrifice being slain in their place for their wrong actions. They would have kind of got this because all the way through Leviticus, if you read the law, the law is given and they have to obey the law, the things that they can do, the things that they can't do, the things that they should do, the things that they shouldn't do. And there's this law in place. But the law, all it does is is it shows us where we're not following the law. It shows us where we're not able to follow Jesus. And then all the way through Leviticus, it says, okay, so if you break this rule, this is what you have to do to get right with God again. And part of it is this, you have, to, you have to get a lamb, and the lamb has to be a year old, so it's strong, it's going to be healthy, it's going to live, it's a, a good sheep, it would be a good sheep, it's not going to be a good sheep, is it? But it's a good lamb, without any blemish, so it's got perfect, it's not diseased, it's a strong thing, it's going to cost you something to give it, and you have to take this lamb, and you have to take it to the temple and you have to put your hand on this lamb's head and you have to kill the lamb and the blood would flow from the lamb 
The blood represents the life. That's Leviticus 17, the life flowing out of the lamb. So that lamb's life is given for the sake of my sin, to make me right with God. It's called atonement. It's called where your sins are forgiven because it has been atoned and it makes you right with God again. Your sin separates you from God. To make you back in that relationship, you need to have this sacrifice in your place so that you will be right with him again. You'll be at one, atoned with God. And so they would have this kind of idea of, okay, so John is saying that this is the Messiah and he's going to be the Lamb of God. But there was still confusion because you can read through the Gospels. When Jesus starts talking about him dying, the, the disciples are like, no, surely not. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to stop you from dying. So there's still this kind of process of understanding. But, but we stand in this privileged position because we can look back and we have the whole of the Gospels written down and we can understand that actually Jesus came to, to, rep, to be the Lamb of God that was slain for our sins. Jesus came to be a sacrifice in our place. You see, when I say that I'm a Christian, when we say we're Christians, what we're not saying is that we're really great people, we're really good, we're really well behaved, we're, we're the best moral people out there. No, what we're saying is we realise that we are failures. We realise that we're weak. We realise that on our own we are separated from God because our behaviour, as we read the scripture, we know that we cannot follow all of God's guidance perfectly. We know that in our heart of hearts each and every one of us. And we know that we need a saviour to make us right with God again. And we look to this Messiah, we look to this Jesus, and we see that he is the one who has died in our place. He is the one who was slain for us. It says in Romans that, that each of us have sinned and each of us have fallen short of God's glory, his demands on our lives. And it says later on that the punishment for that is death. So if any of us have sinned, and I think each of us, if we've lived any time, would know that we have sinned in one way or another, the just punishment for that is death, which means eternal separation from God. But Jesus came into the world to die that is the main reason that Jesus came into the world. He came to die as a sacrifice, as a lamb in our place, so that our wrongdoing, so that our sin could be put onto Jesus and his righteousness can be put onto us, so that we can be restored into right relationship with God, so that we can be adopted into the family of God. It's not my behavior, it's my faith in the cross of Christ. And I just want to ask this question. Do you remember when you first believed this message? Do you remember when you first believed that Jesus had died in your place? That he had taken your sin from you so that you could be restored to relationship with God? Do you remember that moment? That is a moment in your life when you have gone from death to life. When life enters you afresh when all of your sins are forgiven, when you are redeemed by God, when you are saved by him, do you remember that moment? I remember that moment. I remember where I was sat. I remember the feeling. I'd heard the gospel many, many times, hundreds of times. 
before that moment when I was sat on a Christianity Explored course and they were playing this really rubbish film of Jesus being nailed to a cross. It wasn't like an expensive thing, I don't think, but, but there was this moment where a nail was piercing through Jesus' hands and it just hit my heart. Jesus had died because he loved me. And I can't explain why in that moment it hit me and it hadn't hit me all the years before when I'd heard the gospel. But maybe you're here today and you don't know the gospel. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've heard the gospel hundreds of times, but you've never put your trust in Jesus. Maybe today could be the moment where you go, actually, no, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to put my full life into his hands. I want to trust him for eternal life. If that's you, I'd love to speak to you afterwards. But also for each one of us, if ever you think, actually, what value am I? What am I worth? If ever you think, oh, no, I'm not worth anything, just behold Jesus on the cross. Behold him. Spend some time looking at Jesus on the cross, reflecting on him, reflecting on those nails. God thinks you're worthwhile. God adores you and loves you and cherishes you so much that he would come down and sacrifice himself. That is the gospel news. That is what gives you value. True, everlasting value comes in that knowledge. Isn't that good news? And what else do we see in this chapter? What we see in this chapter is how relationships spread this good news. We see one after another pointing to Jesus by someone. You see, uh, there's this wonderful book, Movements That Change the World. This is a, a really fantastic book. I love it. Uh, a guy called Steve Addison wrote it. Um, but he's basically, he has studied movements that have traveled the globe where the gospel has spread. And he's gone, these are the five kind of key things for a movement to have in order to see the gospel flourish. And one of the main things, one of the, the third out of five, is contagious relationships. He says that the the Roman Empire tried to stop Christianity by killing its leaders. And they were frustrated because when they'd done it for other cults and other things, that had completely stopped the movement because the leader had gone. Whereas Christianity was annoying because it was the people, everyone, who's had their lives transformed, who had met Jesus, who had then gone to work or gone to their neighborhoods and chatted and people had seen the difference and they were like, well, what's different about you now? And it's through those contagious relationships. I remember when I was first reading this book, I was in a a queue to have my booster jab for COVID and I was reading this about contagious relationships and I was thinking, oh yeah, no, COVID's pretty contagious, isn't it? Like it just triggered in my head and it was passing from person to person. If one person was in the room, it was likely that 10 people would then have it. We had church services where we're like, nope, yeah, one person had it, now everyone's got it. 
I don't know if you had that in CCM, but we definitely had that down in London. But, but it was contagious, and it's the same with the gospel. The gospel is good news that is contagious, and we should have faith that it can spread from person to person, from person. It's not normally the preacher, like in a setting like this or a conference or anything, that transforms lives. The majority of people who come to faith are transformed when they see someone else that they trust and that they know come to faith and live out an active faith. And you can see it here. John does it. John points to Jesus and says, don't follow me. And just a word, this is a slightly different point, but if a leader who's standing in front of you ever points to self more than he points to Jesus, you're in the wrong church. But that's the truth. We should be pointing to Jesus. Come to, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is your salvation. Jesus is the one who can change your life. Jesus is the one who can transform you. Jesus is the one who can give you eternal life. I can't, but Jesus can. And John does this and he points his followers. Don't follow me, follow the Messiah. You see that in John. And then Andrew. Andrew possibly does the most important thing that he does in his whole discipleship in the first few moments. Because what he does is he goes and tells his brother. Uh, he goes and gets his brother, and his brother happens to be Simon Peter. Now, if he hadn't told Simon Peter, maybe Simon Peter wouldn't have led the charge for the church in the early years. Perhaps hundreds of people wouldn't have come to know Jesus. But he goes and he tells his brother, I found the Messiah, you must come. And Peter comes along, and he sees the Messiah as well. It's a contagious relationship that spreads the gospel of good news. And then Nathaniel. Philip goes to tell Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel's a little bit more cynical, a little bit harder to reach. He's been waiting a long time. He knows we've been waiting a long time. Maybe he's got a bit hardened. And I think we meet people like this quite a lot in the West and in the UK. People who've done the journey kind of not quite, and there's a bit of cynicism around it. I just want to encourage you, in this moment, Jesus doesn't give up, and Philip doesn't just go, all right, forget you then. He just continues talking to him and speaking to him and encouraging him. And when he comes to Jesus, Jesus has a word of knowledge, a, a word from God to say, oh, say this, speak this into their life. We can expect the supernatural to break in as well. And then Nathaniel comes and goes, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. We need to persevere in our contagious relationships. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's a really instant thing. Sometimes it takes longer. But God has placed you where he has placed you. He's placed you in the neighborhoods you're in. He's placed you in the neighborhoods, the workplaces. He's placed you in the families that you're in. And sometimes it might feel really hard, but God has got you there. God is shining a light through you. God is going to use you to bring his kingdom in. And even when you don't see it, you are a light in that place. And people will see things that you've never kind of even recognized about yourself. That's my encouragement to you. You are contagious as a Christian. As you get this kind of, wow, Jesus, you become more and more contagious. More and more contagious. And that's what we're praying for CCM. You know, CCM only works because... You guys go and tell your friends about Jesus or you go and live your life and they're like, oh, look, 
what about Jesus? And then it spreads. And what, what it, it really spreads through families. So what I'm praying for Denton, this is something that God has laid on my heart, is families. Because there's, in Denton, there's generation after generation who have never left Denton. But I think if you start reaching one of those people, then the contagious gospel could spread throughout those families. That's what I'm really praying for and believing what are you praying for and believing around the relationships and the, the people that you're involved in? The gospel is contagious. It is powerful. Because sometimes I can feel like, oh, I'm not that contagious. Actually, now I can feel like that accusation sits on me. Do you know, I've been in the same places, the same family, same this for a long time, and I've not seen all these people come to faith that you're talking about. But I'd just like to, to pray for a refreshing I believe the Holy Spirit refreshes us in our souls when we ask him to. I love the story in Acts where they come together and they're, they're just filled with courage and they go out and continue witnessing. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.